Welcome to Homeschool Mama Self-Care. I'm Teresa Wiedrich at CapturingTheCharmLife.com. I'm here to help you turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. If you are a homeschool mama looking for a strategy or a few for your self-care, then this is the podcast for you. Today, I get to introduce you to Bonnie Landry. She says she's an ordinary wife and mom living on Vancouver Island in Canada with her family. She and her husband, Albert, have raised and are still raising seven children who range in age from 14 to 33. Three are now married, and the avalanche of grandbabies has begun. She's about to begin her 30th year of teaching her own. Bonnie's mission is joy. Living simply, discipline with dignity, fostering community, and encouraging others are all central to her life. This mission encourages others to be present to the people they love. It is possible to learn how to make joy normal. Homeschooling her kids for the last 29 years has confirmed that strong relationships are fundamental for success in education and the rest of life because life is kind of a bust if you can't get along with people. Welcome. I am so Thank glad you. you're here. <laughs> Thank you so much. Nice to, to talk face-to-face, eh? Officially, yes. Face-to-face yeah. over Zoom, like everybody yeah. else. <laughs> like everybody else. <laughs> so I just mentioned in the bio that you have been homeschooling for 30 years. And since I don't remember how long it's been, but I remember, I think, seeing you at a conference in Red Deer. Or Red Deer, or maybe it was in Kelowna. But probably Kelowna. I don't think Kelowna? I've read Deer. Yeah, I don't. Think okay, and I just love listening to you or listening to you. you. I find you very soothing. You're like a self care strategy in itself. <laughs> Walking self care strategy. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really enjoy listening to you. So I'm, I'm especially looking forward to hearing the different things that you share today. You've got a lot of experience. Tell us a little bit about your homeschool background, about your family background, about your your family. Sure. So we have, Albert and I have seven kids. Our oldest daughter is 33 and our youngest is 14. So there's a big, you know, it's 19 years uh, between, um, you know, span amongst them. So we have three daughters. They're all married now and have kids. So we're actually, our sixth grandbaby is due in October. So that's been a whole new thing. The oldest is four. So they're, you know, they're, they're uh, coming thick and fast, which is beautiful. And um, so those three girls are married and having, starting families. Um, Then we have three boys, uh, all of whom will be in college university this year so our one son will be graduating from um, trinity western this year the next one is graduating from a little college in ontario and then his younger brother will also be heading off his first year out there and then uh, my youngest daughter will be the only one at home this year which feels really strange lovely and strange yeah and you said she was 14 yeah 14 wow yeah so kind of coming to an end yeah, beautiful uh, way to end. You know, it's just yeah, it's been a very it's been a very happy experience for us. Um, when I started homeschooling, we what what happened was I when Brienne was a baby, my oldest daughter, when she was a baby, I heard somebody say, "I would really like to educate my own children," and I had never heard about homeschooling before. I never heard the word, 
And I thought, oh, that's a cool idea. I wonder if you're allowed to do that. And just sort of stewed on that. I was a single mom with her for, you know, a couple of years before I met Albert. And just thinking of this idea, what a lovely thing to teach your own children, right? Um, assuming at that time she was going to be my only child, right? And just so caught up in the wonder and interest of of her and the person she was becoming, uh, that that idea sat in my brain. And then Albert and I got married and, you know, we started talking about, you know, education as Brianne was approaching sort of school age. And I said, you know, I'd really like to teach her myself. I didn't know if it was legal or anything. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know there were people who taught their own kids, even though, you know, in the States it had been around for 10 or 15 years. Um, anyway, so then I happened to bump into another mom who was, uh, in a ballet class, her daughter was in a ballet class with mine and we started chatting. She was, what are you doing for school? And I said, I, I just don't know. I, I don't want to put her in school. Um, you know, but I, I want to teach her myself. I don't know if I'm allowed. And she said, Oh, well, I'm going to be homeschooling. And it was the first time I heard the word. And I said, so people do that. And she said, yeah, there's at that time in the town we lived in, there was maybe half a dozen moms homeschooling a big, you know, it's a big town. Uh, but it was pretty new in Canada. And so I went to their first sort of get together. They got together at people's houses and that was like, it was like, okay, this is it. I want to do this and uh, never looked back. So yeah, nobody ever went to school. Nobody went to school. Wow. No. I, I mean, that right there, nobody went to school says that you must have learned a few self-care strategies along the way. <laughs> you have to. Yeah, this is absolutely vital. Just this morning, I was uh, noticing someone on Facebook had mentioned that, you know, in, in, in Alberta, that they would consider homeschooling, except they didn't think they could possibly be with their two girls the entire time. And that they probably have to get a break just by locking the bathroom door and staying in the bathroom door. But are in the bathroom, but I would actually recommend never doing that because there is something magnetic about a bathroom door being locked and kids are like, knock, 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 mom, help, or, you know, all the possibilities. Probably the worst idea is to lock yourself. Probably you should sit in the middle of the room and learn to um, go into a quiet Zen space and just practice that. But what's been your self-care strategy? What's, or what has been your approach to your self-care and getting time alone or whatever's been really pressing for you over these last 30 right. years. <laughs> Crazy, hey? Yeah, um, so I would say I am pretty good at taking care of myself. And I learned that pretty early on, that this was really, really important, that I could not sustain this beautiful thing that I wanted to give my family if I wasn't taking care of myself. And so there are some things that I naturally did that were things that just came to me as a person that, that helped me, you know, sort of sort through my thoughts. And one of them is writing. So I've always written, you know, a lot of times that wasn't for other people. It was just for me, but just getting, sorting through my thoughts, my feelings, my um, ideas on paper was really cathartic for me. And so that's, you know, kind of one of the things that started off, but early on, I think it was around the time, probably we had our, Okay, couple of things. So I'm going to break this down. I'll talk about each of these um, a little bit. One of them was when I had, around the time I had my third baby, I was very like, oh, you know, free spirity kind of. I'm really a hippie at heart, okay? Free spirit, like, oh, it doesn't matter if there's mess. It doesn't matter. You know, nothing really matters, you know, in terms of household order. 
was not a big deal for me. Around the time I had my third baby, I thought, okay, this is not working because I'm cranky, right? Because I can't find things because there's mess all the time. There's, there's uh, hecticness all the time. And I started sort of this journey of how do I get, I didn't have a lot of formation in that area. So my parents were my wonderful parents. They were both pack rats, right? And so I never sort of learned how to declutter or how to even really clean properly and things like that. Um, and we had a very, you know, like it was a happy home, but um, order, no, <laughs> you know, that wasn't really there. And so I had to really start from ground zero on, on finding order. So that was, that was, I would say, step number one. If I couldn't have order, and I do not mean a pristine home, I mean it be just on a very basic level, having space that was um, pleasing, right? Not pristine. And also uh, wasn't going to cause you angst when you looked around all the time, you know, that you could go to bed at night and it was pretty easy to have the house be tidy when you went to bed at night. Um, so strategy really is what I'm talking about. Um, but also that you could find your stuff, right? Because it weighs you down, man. If you, if you have to look for every single thing, look for your kids clothes, look for your homeschooling stuff, look for your, uh, you know, band-aids every time you need one, you know, that that's does not promote wellness, right? That does not promote joy, you know, and calmness. And so that was step number one. Step number two was finding time for myself. And so in the, in that idea of finding time for myself, uh, first of all, in the world of order, I think I always try to get Albert, my husband to, to take the kids places so I could tidy up. And which is a good idea. That's a good idea. But um, finding sp space for my brain isn't always found in the tidying up. It's good for me. It's good to have order. But I'm going to have to learn how to do that with a bunch of people running around in my life. It's, yeah. Right? Um, but finding a kind of a quiet time for my own brain. And so how that worked for me was that every Saturday morning I would have to myself. Okay, you know, when I had a nursing, I, I'm a very much attachment mom, right? If I had a little nursing baby, I would take them with me. As soon as they became toddlers and could have a little bit of time away from me, then I would leave them at home with Albert and um, get out on my own. And that was really my, I could do whatever I wanted to in that time. Often I, I spent, you know, an hour of it just having a very pleasant grocery shopping experience to myself. <laughs> Yeah. without kids right but what the key i think to to that time to yourself is is that it's planned because what i found up until that time i was always trying to grab time like albert would get home from work and i think can i get out for half an hour you know i'm going to run to the grocery store by myself and i was always trying to grab it you know where if i planned it then i knew it was coming okay saturday mornings are mine i know that's coming and I can look forward to that time of sort of sorting through the things I'm angsty about or the things that I'm uh, feeling I just need to think about a little bit or strategies I might want to develop. Um, so planning was the key. And so for a period of time, I was leading a big homeschool group in, in the town that I'm originally from, Nanaimo. And one of the questions that came up was big, big group, 50 or 60 moms at this meeting. And that was what we talked about was how do you get time to yourself? 
And there was so many different answers to that question, but the key of success was always that it was planned. When my husband gets home from work, I go have a hot bath. I go for a run. I um, get out for 20 minutes a day. I have an hour a week. I have, you know, uh, two nights a week I go out, but it was always planned. That's the key to success. Right. I think I thought I would love homeschooling so much that I would never need to have time away from my kids. Yeah. Yeah. And, you I, and I love my kids, yeah. but I yeah. need time away from my kids. And just like you said, when I've got those boundaries, those set, set aside times go, to go do anything, although grocery shopping right now is not so much fun with all the precautions and stuff. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't recommend grocery shopping as a thing unless you have much younger kids and it's just like a source of venting. But it's still, it's um, allowing yourself to kind of develop who you are, to recognize who you are outside of being the homeschool mom. Exactly. And that looked a lot of different ways. Sometimes I would just go to the library. Sometimes I'd go to a bookstore. I'd always take myself up for coffee. That was kind of the, you know, cornerstone of it. You know, just take a book, go out for coffee with myself and not make plans with friends, actually. That was, you know, I mean, that might be a strategy for people, but for me, it wasn't. I, I uh, you know, I'm very social, but it was like, you know, I really, really need time to sort through my own thoughts. Yeah. I, yeah. I love the adult time, but I do find that over, you know, I'm doing this folks, I can't remember if it's 14, 15, 13, something years. And yeah. I am a little less extroverted, I think, because I just have so much interaction, although it's not adult like this, but it's so much interaction all the time that I, I'm with you. If I have alone time, I want to be alone. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, because I'm, I'm, Again, I thought I wouldn't need a break from my kids, right? But you appreciate your kids more yes. by getting away and getting perspective, right? But I also am extremely extroverted. And yet, even the extrovert needs a little bit of time, right? You, you know, know, you were saying that um, you were creating order in your home. And that reminds me of, you know, I talk about that in my book, by the way, that creating order organization in your home and in your homeschool and in maybe your food prep and all those different areas. But I also preface it by saying, listen, if you want to just ignore this section and you think this is too uptight, you can move on. Um, I yeah. was taught by a mom who, you know, taught me to shine the taps before I left the bathroom, which I don't do with my kids. But so my house was very, it's reasonably orderly now. It's certainly not what my mom's was. But I have found that the happiest families, though, in general, are not necessarily the toughiest. So there's like a balance there somewhere. Yeah. And it's, I mean, to me, it's so much of that just goes away when you own less stuff. Right. Right. You know, and so, and I mean, on every front, you know, whatever, you know, toys and books. Well, I mean, books are sort of another category, isn't it? <laughs> okay, don't include <laughs> don't, them. don't own garbage books, right? You know, get rid of the books that you aren't valuable to. Um, but, you know, kitchenware and laundry and homeschooling excess, right? We think because we've spent money on something that even though we never, ever use it, and in fact, maybe we even hate it, it somehow has value to us and it has no value. It's, you you have much better value by allowing it to be something valuable for someone else, right? Um, you know, so I mean, I think that so much of that literally just goes away when you own less stuff. Right. And you don't right. have the same kind of value to, or like you don't attach the value to it. That's actually exactly. something that we, um, my husband and I, when we moved to one town to another, we had made this intentional choice to be simpler, uh, simpler in our life approach. And we actually did like traveling for seven 
ears about halftime and we got rid of a lot of stuff. We got rid of so much stuff that I regret actually giving getting rid of, you know, the U2 CD and different things that I, <laughs> I can't find anymore in CD form. Um, you know, I'm, I miss some of those things. I actually think that it's not so much about not having stuff. It's more about does this particular thing have value or purpose to me right now? And exactly. then you can let it go. But right now, I mean, I'm talking with you and I'm aware that my homeschool room is filled with books that I am waiting for my grandchildren to share. And I have no grandchildren and my oldest would be mortified I was talking about this because she's 19. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a funny thing, though, because some things have so much value to you that they're worth hanging on to, right? I actually designated a shelf in my basement we have a sort of big playroom in the basement and I started filtering books that we will no longer use down there um books that anything that wasn't of value to me I I got rid of but the things that I think my daughters may want for their kids or my sons when they have kids I put down there and I told them you can just help yourself that's a take it away shelf and um you know, in 10 years, I might just pack it all up and give it away. But right now, I just, it's not in my main living space. And you can just help yourself, right? So that's, that's a great idea. idea. Yeah. Have there been a few unexpected challenges along your homeschool <laughs> journey? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so to clarify, so this is our, we just wrapped up our 29th year of homeschooling. Wow. So we started homeschooling in 1991. We're entering our 30th year. I have three more to go. Lydia's heading into grade 10. And um, uh, so yeah, there has been some years that have, we've, we've had some remarkable difficulties. The challenges were perhaps different than other people is different than what you may expect. Um, we, I've had three or four years that have been just profoundly difficult. Um, and so I'll, I'll run through those very quickly just to give people a, a bit of a snapshot. Um, so one of my older daughters had a, a condition called pandas, which many people are aware of now. And she was only diagnosed retrospectively when another one of our kids had it because it wasn't actually even a thing when she had it It was a lot of years ago um and so so we were dealing with a mental health issue that was undiagnosed and was went wildly out of control okay uh not knowing getting advice on many different fronts that was often uh wrong, you know, poor advice for the situation, but she was undiagnosed. She was, we didn't know what was going on. Um, but it was a pretty terrifying experience. Um, and I would say it disrupted two years of our life. Uh, one full year of that, I would say, other than read to my kids, we did nothing, you know, because we were in survival mode, you know, um, things got so out of control that we, literally had to have two adults in the home at all times, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it was, it's hard, it's heartache. Cause if we had known, uh, you know, what, what was going on, it would have been so different, but you know, uh, the, the grace of it has been that our whole family, including, you know, the daughter who went through the, the most difficulty in all of this, the whole family obviously went through difficulty, but clearly, you know, the one she suffered the most, um, that she have all been given the grace of empathy 
for other people going through difficult things and not to judge parents who, you know, end up choosing to put their kids on medication or to put their kids in therapy or to, um, to make choices that you may not have ever imagined yourself making, uh, you know, and, and, or having a child whose behavior is, you know, looks to you like bad behavior, you know, you just, all the judgment falls away. The judgments, you know, because you just never know what somebody else is going through. Right. And, and that was definitely one of the hardest years of our life. A um, couple of years. Um, we also had then when my seventh daughter was born, um, I became very, very ill, also undiagnosed, a uh, physical ill. Um, and in that dealing with that physical illness, uh, I, I almost died. They don't know why I didn't die. Um, just to not leave you in suspense. I had a, an intersuscepted bowel. So you, the, the bowel starts to suck inside itself. And this went on for a few months until it reached the point where uh, it was completely blocked off at which point. So I've been sick for, you know, several weeks, like 14 weeks or something. Then I went into hospital. Then it was an emergency surgery. Then the recover period was very, very long. So 18 months. Um, and of course, dealing with, you know, a mom who, who's, you know, now basically couch bound for a few months um, and has a brand new, has a newborn <laughs> and six more kids. Right. Um, you know, so that was a, again, a year that we pretty much, I had high schoolers, so they I did some of their work independently for sure. And they were really good about it. Um, but pretty much we're down to just reading, reading to the kids that year. And we, nobody suffered academically for that, you know, those years. So, so those were some big, big bumps in the road. Um, late, later on uh, in 2015, actually, probably another year that was both a hard year. It was beautiful and sad. My mom died very unexpectedly um, right before my first daughter got married, just a few days before. And so that was a, you know, obviously a very hard year. And then four months later, my other daughter got married. Another daughter got really, really sick. You know, there was all kinds of sort of tragedies and, and joys that happened all in the same year. So it was a, it was a hard year. Um, and, you know, so we just have to, again, go into these modes in these years of, okay, what is it I need to weather this, right? And one of the, you know, I mean, people will say, say things where you could just put the kids in school, right? I don't think that's going to solve the problem. Then I have a new burden, right? It, you know, decompressing all the school stuff, having to get them there, you know, having to figure out, you know, um, help for the younger ones when the older ones are at school, you know, how, like, how, you know, I mean, operating family in a whole new way, right? So yeah, those are some bumpy years for sure. <laughs> I think I hear your stories. This is the first time I've heard these different stories. And I think that's why I'm drawn to you. And I'm sure that <laughs> most people are because I was just saying this to someone last night, that the most lovely people are the ones that have had the most challenging stories. And they're just like you said, that empathy that just it blossoms mm -hmm. in, I don't know, the compost heap what feels like just junk and it shouldn't be there and it's disruptive and it's just unpleasant. And yet beauty comes out of that. Yeah. And I think that we have to, we could become embittered by those things, but if we see them as growth, you know, yes. Right. There's a just win. Everybody wins. 
so tell me, how did you handle, I would, I should say, I imagine that you would feel overwhelmed and probably many other emotions when you were describing your story with your, is it two daughters with Panda, but specifically mm-hmm. the one story with your, um, with the one daughter that disrupted the couple years. How did you, how did you emotionally deal with that? I would imagine you were overwhelmed. Or how were you engaged? Yeah, I mean, you know, really when you're going through something like that, uh, everything is adrenaline, right? You're just operating on adrenaline forever. But the point at which everything started to turn around was when we finally reached out for help amongst our friends. Mm-hmm. You know, really it was, a uh, we buried it, you know, because we didn't want, you know, everyone thought we were the, the ideal family, right? And, and not that we were trying to pretend we were, but when we started struggling, um, it was hard to let people in to that, right? You know, and yeah, so I really do really, know. Yeah. Yes, and so really that was the turning point um, on many levels of us being able to move forward and get the help we needed because we turned to our friends and, you know, they were amazing you know they were absolutely amazing that we 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 felt so supported by our community of friends right so you're in an accepting place yourself saying it is what it is and you um and they allowed your community your genuine community to come around you and to support you yeah and i think you know really friendships also grow from a place of pain and difficulty right Mm -hmm. i mean you can have many friends but you really know what friendships are made of when, when you have difficulty, right? Um, things you have to work through together, you know, and that's the friendships that to this day are my really deep um, lifelong friendships, right? Yeah. I'd actually say that this, um, the last number of months with this pandemic, it has clarified a lot of different things, a lot of different connections with people for myself, um, being a little bit more, uh, remote. I don't know that everybody experiences this. Maybe they do, but we're 20 minutes outside of a small town. And I think everybody had that feeling of we're now separate and we're, we're not allowed to be with each other for a certain period of time there. And then people became more valuable. They, they felt like a commodity that, you know, is not available to us. So then we reached out with different people more often. I certainly did. I connected with people more often. And then I, I had, I don't know, it was more of a kindred spirit with certain people. It just felt like I really connected in with more people more frequently. And it had a whole different level of connection, I think, than I've ever had before. Yeah, yeah, it's been really interesting, hasn't it? I mean, it's funny, you know, because of all the things we think could possibly happen in our world of, you know, tragedy and and all of this, having our community isolated was probably not really on anyone's radar, you know what I mean? Uh, You know, I mean, yeah, so it's, and I mean, we've we've met, most of us have still had the comforts of home, you know, I mean, there's been some people who've really suffered um, uh, financially, but having having the comforts of home has still still been intact. Where you know other forms of tragedy might have taken those things away from us, but um, yeah, in a world where we need connections so badly and need community so badly, I think, oddly enough, this is going to build it, right? 
First time ever, though, I actually think it's fair and valid when people ask, but what about homeschool socialization? And we're all like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's been a tough go for kids, especially teens, you know, oh my mm-hmm. gosh. You know, and I mean, my kids were, my youngest daughter is quite, um, uh, she loves to spend a lot of time by herself. So, you know, that did, didn't really affect her a lot. Um, you know, she spent obviously time with me and, and you know, her siblings and whatnot. Uh, but her social needs aren't great. Um, you know, my son 17 definitely, uh, his social needs are way higher. And he, you know, right away carved out sort of Zoom get togethers with his friends where they'd, you know, play games like he was doing some game, you know, online gaming as well, but more like just playing trivia or playing whatever games with his friends online, right? And um, uh, yeah, so it was neat to see see their response to that because if I, you know, I knew it would be harder on him for sure, yeah. Whereas actually my son is exactly the opposite. I'm always projecting my extroverted views on my very introverted child. <laughs> no, don't you need to get out more? Shouldn't you get together with your friends? I know. Yeah, I have some definitely introverted children. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's something that I have to sort of, you know, make sure I'm, I'm not projecting. <laughs> I'm always projecting. And then I always have to check it. <laughs> My um, introverted husband is also projecting, though, or very empathetic and says, just let him be. He's fine. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think the common myth about homeschooling or homeschooling a mom's self-care would be? Yeah, I think... um common myths I'm not sure like I I I mean I think we could say okay I'm gonna you know do something sort of on a on one level like like I could go out for a glass of wine with my friends or I could go for a pedicure or go for sort of what we think of as um uh self-care but I I think for most sort of mums the idea of of removing that which creates angst in your life is probably the better uh, operating, you know, tool than what can I do for me, right? So it is still, it is still what can I do for me, but, you know, going for a pedicure or going for a, um, you know, a glass of wine with your friends may, may not be the answer to the angst that you're within, right? And so we need to be able to self-reflect enough to figure out what the angst is, right? And man, if that means therapy, get therapy. Therapy is not a bad word, you know? And, um, you know, so I think really, I was thinking about what you do and what I do. And I thought, you know, a lot of what we do is therapy for moms, right? Because I mean, in terms of your coaching capacity and, and, you know, creating community for moms and all of that, we give moms a place to voice their worries, voice their concerns, figure out what it is that's not working and tools for management, right? Which really is a lot of what a good therapist is going to do for you. Okay. Um, by the way, it's just come across my radar. There's a, an organization called BetterHelp. Have you heard of this? No. Nope. Apparently a very inexpensive online uh, therapy. I've not used it myself, but I know people who have. And a very excellent online um, therapist uh, program. So uh, I don't know a lot about it. And so only that the 
people that I know who have used it have had, you know, really good things to say about it. So, so I'll just leave that there for people to explore if they're, if they're needing that kind of thing, but also using the tools like, you know, the kind of thing you're doing, the kind of thing I'm doing, you know, get to your people and, um, and help, you know, help them, let them help you, right? Let them help you, you know, have, find a place where you can voice your concerns. Don't voice your concerns with people who are going to diss you, right? That's a bad idea, you know? And if you have family or friends around you who are saying, you know, oh, we'll just put the kids in school or, oh, I, you know, I don't agree with what you're doing. You know what? It's your, A, it's not your job. Don't reach out to those people for help, okay? They will not help you. They will only undermine you. And even though they think they're doing it out of love and there probably are, but that will undermine. But also, um, they're, they're, don't go to those people to solve your problems and don't try and convince them that you're doing the right thing. It's not your job. Your, your only job is to say, hey, just respect my choices, please. Right? Don't try and convince people who disagree with you that what you're doing is right. Just ask them for respect of their choices. I respect yours. Please respect mine. Co- conversation over right? If they can't respect you, don't spend time with them. Okay. Um, and so that is a self-care tool, right? Don't be around people who undermine you, <laughs> right? Boundaries. Yep. Boundaries. 100%. And if therapy is the thing that helps you find boundaries, absolutely go for that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I am a person who I can't stand angst and I, I am uncomfortable with angst and I do what I can to offload it. And my husband, you know, recently just noticed that you know, like he was sort of reading and, and exploring, you know, what, what makes people sort of um, strong, uh, what was it? resilient, okay, what makes people resilient? And I've been doing some, some reflection on that as well, because I, I am a pretty resilient person. And but I don't really know why, or I, you know, haven't known why. One of the things is people who look after themselves, right? People who think about what they need and, and look for avenues to gain that. And, uh, and he's, you know, my husband noticed like you, you take care of yourself, right? That's important to you that you take care of yourself. And, and it always has been when in 2015, when my mom died and, you know, the girls got married and, you know, it was, it was an intense time, a beautiful, joyful, sad, intense, lot of, lot of emotion time at the end of the year, like the very end of that year is my mom died in April. The first wedding was in May. My daughter got sick in July. My next daughter got married in September, you know, like a lot of stuff, right? At the very end of the year, like in November, I crashed and burned in a way that I have never experienced before. And then I went through a few months of feeling what I think many people feel all the time, like just not getting a grip right? And I had never felt that way before. And it was a grace because I could empathize with people, the people in my own life who experienced that on a daily basis. And I never thought I would feel the same again. And that's the point at which I, I got therapy and um, kind of got back on my feet. But it was terrifying. And I think, wow, the people who live like that all the time, who just feel overwhelmed by angst, all the time, you know, I just think, wow, that's, that's gotta be something that as human beings, we answer, answer that. Two uh, questions I have for you. Um, one is how do you define angst? Like what does angst mean to you? And the other thought that I have is that therapy 
for me anyways, isn't just about talk therapy. It's mm-hmm. uh, the goal. Well, it sure has been at times for me, but I think the goal is not just about being able to reflect something back on someone. Uh, you can have a friend for that and it costs a lot less, but you can get tools for how you yeah. frame your life or how you frame your experience. And that to me is the goal for therapy, but absolutely management, right? Identification management, you know, and so many of us don't, can't identify what it is, the problem, what's the problem, you know? Um, And so, yeah, absolutely. You know, so what does angst mean for me? So in general, I feel I, I like to have interior peace right? Now I'm a very sort of exuberant person and I, I may not appear that I ha- am at peace interiorly because I'm talking about things and expressive about things, but interiorly, I usually feel quite peaceful, right? I gr- feel grounded. When that angst entered into me, not that I don't ever have days when I feel angst, of course I do, but I would say the majority of my time is spent feeling interior peace. Um, that I felt like that was grabbed and somebody ran away with it. Um, and I could not find a place of feeling inter- interiorly peaceful ever during that several months, right? Now it came on slowly in a sense, like of all the stuff we were going through, I still felt peaceful through all that. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, but then when it was all over, it was like, I just couldn't get my bearings, you know? And so I had this bubbling, um, feeling of not having, having this feeling of discord all the time about everything, about relationships, about where I was going with my life, about, um, who I was, all that stuff going on interiorly and having no clue how to fix that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's how I would define angst for me. I think, I think yeah, it feels relevant to our time right now because um, how you described your year, even though there were many wonderful things that were happening in that year, it was very intense. Um, and so it's almost like the last number of months, people describe this pandemic overwhelm and some many people, frontline workers or people in all sorts of different venues that are helping people. Uh, experiencing compassion fatigue and coming at the end of this and just collapsing with, okay, I'm done. I can't do anymore. Yeah. So what tools have you learned to engage that angst? Well, interestingly, so I went to uh, a therapist. Um, It was actually a Catholic uh, therapist, as most most of my listeners know, uh, I'm Catholic. It was a Catholic therapist organization. And what they promoted was um, sort of the, the purpose of her, the, the method or form of her particular angle on therapy was, um, you know, both identifying what I was going through, giving me tools to work through that. The tools came in the, the container of, of mindfulness and understanding um, a mindful, what mindfulness is trying to accomplish and what mindfulness is, how it needs to become a lifestyle in order that you can live your life more fully. Okay. So I was a bit taken aback by all of that because I think in general, I'm a 
probably the reason I live with a lot of interior peace in general is because I am by nature a pretty mindful person, but I had, that had all been taken away, that had all gone away in the middle of this difficulty. Um, so how that affected me was, was just hugely because I was now standing outside looking at myself as I might look at someone else or someone else's situation. Okay. And essentially what I was learning to do was what I have my entire adult life have presented to mothers to teach their children in the framework of attachment parenting, that whatever your child is feeling emotionally, that you don't become reactive to that that you, you just accept what is and walk beside them, through it with them, knowing that what they need more than anything is to be loved and to be understood. And the emotions are, they're just emotions that you don't have to get wound up in them, okay? And so what I was looking at was now a snapshot of me not doing that with myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I was essentially learning what I had kind of trained myself to do and promoted others doing was being able to look at my own emotions and thinking, okay, they're just emotions, right? They will pass, right? I can own them. I can accept them. I can walk beside them. I can be gentle with myself while I'm having them. Mm -hmm. Even if the emotion was hating somebody, hating my husband or, you know, hating myself or, you know, whatever that I can just, okay, that's, that's an emotion. It's okay. Right. I can be angry. I can be upset. I can feel hurt. I can feel anything I want. And I can be tender with myself while I'm sorting through those feelings. Mm. Right. And so that was like, mind blown. (laughs) It's like, why didn't I learn this 20 years ago? You know, because I think the process of learning how to do that with my own children would have been so much easier if I'd understood how to do it with myself. Now, maybe to a degree I was doing it with myself, but if I had been able to take it apart and, kind of analyze it in a sense, what I was doing, you know, um, that would have been really helpful. It's very interesting to hear that because my experience has been in reverse that I have, you know, been learning that exact thing that you're saying about how you're engaging yourself with myself. And now I'm putting it in, you know, with feet towards my kids. And I find that far more challenging to do. But when I look into the mirror, this is, it sounds kooky, but if I look into my mirror and I speak to myself the same way that I would speak to a friend who is upset or sad or overwhelmed, if I literally do that thing, looking into the mirror and saying, I'm sorry that you don't feel good. Oh, that would, it would just feel so bad that you would, you know, that thing happened and you're so frustrated and it's okay. No, it doesn't mean you don't love your child because you're really, really mad at them or, you know, you know, whatever maybe guilt feelings you have about that feeling or uncomfortable feeling, all the different thoughts we have about uncomfortable feelings to address those in the mirror to myself. It's a profound um, tool. 
it's a weird tool, but it's a useful tool to actually speak to yourself in the mirror. And it, it um, diminishes the intensity of the feeling. Yeah. But just like you said, sitting down um, um, for me on a yoga mat, if I'm halfway through a day where I'm just like, okay, I've had enough. And I just lay on a yoga mat and I let myself feel the uncomfortable feelings. I sit with it and I let it just be, or like you said, be mindful. Why am I feeling what I'm feeling? And just, you know, kind of gently, tenderly ask myself the questions about those uncomfortable feelings. It feels like they disappear faster because I am engaging them. I don't understand why, but it feels like those uncomfortable feelings are like clouds in the sky. Yes, they're there, but they will pass. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you said that about the mirror, because for me, when I was training myself to do this with my kids, because it was a new idea, right? You know, um, that what I would think is, okay, if, if I was upset, how would, how would I want someone to respond to me? And how would I want my husband to respond to me? And then I would imagine that the child, you know, okay, how am I going to respond to you? You know, I mean, whatever you're talking about seems silly to me, even, you know, like you, you lost your toy, but you're still really, really upset. So how would I, if I lost something, or if I was really, really upset, how would I want someone to respond to me? Right. And that was how I trained myself with my kids to think that way. Right. So it's very, very similar process to what you're talking about. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something I was thinking about as I was sort of ruminating about your questions this morning, um, was that so quite a few years ago, I was a Lelechi League leader for a few years. And then I stopped being a Lelechi League leader. I was having more kids. I was just finding it hard to, to fit into my life. Um, but I many times over the years have, have supported women who, you know, are having trouble breastfeeding, whatever, you know, in my own circle, or sometimes somebody will say, Oh, I know somebody who's really struggling. Can you help them out? And one of the first things that I say to moms, you know, who are really struggling with breastfeeding is like, okay, can you just tell me where it feels stiff in your neck, right? In your shoulders. Cause you're going to have a really hard time nursing this baby if your muscles are tense. Right. And so just say, okay, you know, hopefully their husband's there. And I'll, I'll say, you know, can you just, just massage her neck for a minute, you know, or just, can you just think about, I'm, you know, t- touch my hands to their shoulders and just say, can you feel the tension there? Just try and drop those muscles or release those muscles, you know, so that you can relax a little bit because you're all this tension is not going to help you feed your baby. And I mean, it's the same with everything in life, right? Where, you know, we pull all that sort of, it's not always, you know, muscular tension, but it always relates to muscular tension in some way, right? You know, tension in our brain, tension in our gut, tension in our muscles, you know, we're all pulled in. And if we can just, you know, um, touch the, our actual physical place in our body, and think, okay, well, am I holding any tension there? You know, just just learn to release, right? Uh, wherever it is, if it's our gut or our throat or, you know, wherever we're having tension, just touch it and release, mm-hmm. you know, and I have that as our absolute basic starting place, right? Interesting. Somebody was yeah. just telling me about a different kind of therapy, um, sensory trauma processing i forget what the name is i'll have to find out but first time i've ever seen this where they go through a process of um, acknowledging the really uncomfortable feelings that we have but in 
uh, they try to trigger it, first of all, but they try to trigger it in a safe environment, and then they try to let you feel through where you're experiencing the pain of something or the discomfort okay. of something. And it's um, it, it seems so obvious that we should have known that traumas or many traumas or whatever you want to call them would trigger physical um, issues, but I don't we haven't we just go oh they have back pain everybody has back pain but maybe maybe we have back pain because of something that we're carrying yeah and there's a lot of science I mean there's a lot of science and research being done on this right now it's really interesting I I don't know tons about it but I I do know that you know all kinds of trauma physical trauma emotional trauma are going you're going to carry tension right and um you know so it's interesting that there's sort of a, a field of um a study that's coming out right now one of the things i, I go to a um, gal who does sort of a fitness coaching and whatnot and she is um uh, somatics, uh, somatics teacher. Have you heard of somatics? That's kind of what I was saying. Yeah. That right. Kind of- okay. So somatics is, um, yeah. So it's really interesting kind of about pinpointing the areas where you hold, uh, hold tension and how to, how to release that and whatnot. It's, it's, I find it really interesting and, and has been extremely helpful for me in terms of just, even just falling asleep better. Right. You know, practices that help you fall asleep better or, or help you, um, you know, go into your fitness routine and, and feel like you're, you know, not, not having tension in your hip, you know, when you uh, wake up in the morning, somebody's like, Oh, my hip is stiff or whatever, you know? And uh, yeah, it's fascinating. I don't, and again, I don't know a lot about it, but boy, it's been remarkable uh, method of just helping me uh, be more aware of my body and where I'm holding tension just on the day to day. Right. Mm-hmm, which definitely pertains to homeschool moms. Oh yeah. There's a few opportunities for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one thing I've learned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Certainly I've learned. Uh, you know, I think I was just listening to Julie Bogart in her um, summer camp the last couple of days talk about how uh, a lot of homeschool problems aren't really homeschool problems. They're parenting problems or they're really most are most. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're relationship problems even you know, and uh, yeah, it's just one of those things that we sort of imagine it's a homeschooling problem, you know, Um, and even, I mean, when you think about something like, okay, how do I get all the housework done? Um, You know, if, if you hired somebody to help you with some of that, you know, okay, that's just a problem that goes away, you know, I mean, or two thirds of it could go away. Okay. I'm going to hire somebody to come in once every two weeks and they're going to clean my bathrooms, wash my floors. Okay. I don't have to think about that anymore. (laughs) You know, um, and uh, you know, there's other things we can do to augment that, which appears to be a problem. Right. And sometimes, but it sometimes takes time to sort of peel away the layers. Right. I think coming into homeschool, I thought my biggest problem would be, how to figure out homeschool academics. Yeah. I know everybody else's biggest concern was, but what about socialization? Yeah. Reality check. The biggest problem is, oh dear, I'm seeing myself being um, mirrored in my child's eyes. Like um, what I mean by that, like we were talking earlier is projecting my issue or my concerns onto my child and not listening to my child. But in fact, just 
experiencing all these um, maybe triggers or feelings about different things and assuming that my child is experiencing them, but not not actually, they're not experiencing them. They're different human beings. They had a different experience coming into the world and and they aren't being heard because I'm projecting and I'm spending too much time on my own thing. So learning how to see them for what they are, just like you were describing before, that they can have these big emotions and it can be just a big emotion. That is hard for me still. Yeah. Uh, but that that's the biggest work as a homeschool parent it's not the academics it definitely ain't the socialization <laughs> well there's so many resources for academics right and yet you know significantly fewer resources for relationship building right right and so the i i if i could do can i recommend a couple of resources yeah um, Gordon Neufeld's book, Hold On To Your Kids, is, is mine. Fantastic. Yeah, and fantastic. And also, um, uh, he's got a lot of great YouTube videos. Some of them are short, you know, 20 minutes long. Some of them are longer, hour, hour and a half. But just explores an area of relationship with others, not just your kids. I mean, he's specifically talking about parents and children. But it, it will affect every relationship in your, in your uh, life. Um, that's just an invaluable resource. Also, Judy Arnall, have you read her books? Unschooling Lady, yes. Yeah, and she's fantastic. Um, she has a book called Discipline Without Distress, which is excellent, especially for parents on the younger end of things. That um, she, in the back of that book, she has sort of a, a resource where kind of troubleshooting resource. You know, here are the, um, uh, here's the problem you're dealing with. Here are some ways you could deal with it without using carrot and stick, without using rewards and consequences, without punishment. Here are some ways we can manage that kind of a situation, right? And it's just a gem. Um, and she actually just sent me a copy of her book on schooling to university. So yeah, it's, it's uh, fantastic. Not because we're, we're not really unschoolers, but I would say, you know, certainly in some areas, I lean that way. Uh, but just the preparing kids for university part of that book is valuable for any homeschooler, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Gordon Neufeld is somebody that I often recommend to um, yeah. hold on to your kids and his attachment parenting stuff. And he's helped me in courses online. You can get um, individual courses online at challenging points in our parenting. But the one book that I'm reading recently is called The Awakened Family by, is it Shafali Sabari? Sabari? T really That's interesting. Awesome. Yeah, also on YouTube. And she's talking about exactly what you were talking about and how to parent or how to engage your kids. Yeah. What self-care strategy would you give for new homeschoolers right now, how they should engage their homeschool world? I think that uh, if, if homeschooling is new to you, particularly if you pulled your kids out of school or have been forced to pull your kids out of school that it's, it becomes really important to just take the time to build your relationships, right? So even if that means some months or some time where you just are, you know, taking nature walks and exploring the world around you, kind of almost reestablishing who your family is, you know, or what your family is, uh, spending lots of time reading aloud together, um, lots of time just discussing the books you're reading or discussing what's going on around you, just spending time in a sense being with your kids, right? And maybe developing some good habits of, um, you know, uh, okay, uh, lunch is ready and now let's clean up 
from lunch together. You know, let's, uh, I'm just going to give you each a little job to do. Let's, let's be a family who works function functionally together. Um, as opposed to imposing things, you know, that can come, get to know who you are as a homeschooling family before you start worrying about what you choose for curriculum, right? Yeah, you won't suffer for that. So tell me how you would encourage long-term homeschoolers, ones that maybe are getting a little tired. Certainly the pandemic didn't help. Um, what would you do to, or what would you suggest that might encourage the long-term homeschoolers? That have been homeschooling for a while and uh, are just sort of feeling kind of worn down maybe? Yeah, maybe, maybe not someone that's maybe homeschooled for 30 years. Cause <laughs> <laughs> but maybe six or seven or eight. I know. Yeah. yeah. People can kind of feel burned out. I think that one of the number one things you could do is really shake up your routine. Okay. Mm -hmm. Say you've been using a particular curriculum, have a year where you say to your kids, you know what? I think we're going to toss the curriculum this year. Right. I mean, my whole video I have on YouTube, uh, make jo um, uh, homeschooling simplified, uh, what's, what's the name of my video? <laughs> joy. <laughs> it's a playlist on my YouTube channel. Um, homeschooling with joy. It's a full day video that I made free during COVID. Um, which has been, it's just exploded. I'm really excited about it. Uh, but you know, it's like how to function kind of without curriculum, you know, um, or do something cool, like, uh, plan a family road trip somewhere. You know, obviously right now you have to do that in your own country. <laughs> Uh, you know, you don't want to cross borders, but do something really interesting. Plan a cool field trip every two weeks and spend the two weeks beforehand studying what it is you're going to see, you know, or the two weeks afterwards, you know, after you've sort of salted the oats, you know, do something really uh, valuable to shake up your routine and just see after that year of doing that, see where you want to go with it. You know, if things are dry, try something different you know, try something fun. I'm all about fun, mm -hmm. you know, so if it's not fun, I'm not really that interested. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was homeschooling a younger group of kids, uh, I was, you know, we did a lot of projects and we did a lot of field trips and, you know, we were really hands-on in there. And um, as I got older and had more kids, I was sort of a little less able to do those kinds of things. Um, and maybe, you know, the kids, like I sort of moved from the girls really got to do these things with me to the boys who they wanted more time to just be outside playing amongst themselves and that sort of thing. I, I went through a couple of years of thinking, okay, well, that's not really that sort of project oriented kind of stuff isn't really what they're getting excited about anymore. What can we do now? And it was at the point at which too, that my youngest was now a little older and we started with a couple of road trips, like long four or five week road trips and decided we would study whatever the road trip was. And one of them was studying American history and then going down doing the Eastern seaboard, studying the revolutionary war and things like that. And it was really cool. And that really got people jazzed about what we were doing, but it wasn't something I could do while I was still having babies. And in that mode, but once that phase ended, then I could move on to something like that. So it was a real shakeup of our routine, mm -hmm. uh, and but we loved it. So every couple of years, we do kind of a big trip somewhere. Beautiful. And, yeah, it really is. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it doesn't always have to be expensive either. We've done some, you know, a couple of trips to Europe now, and that's, you know, obviously that's a big expensive thing, um, but a couple of really cool road trips that, uh, you know, were definitely less expensive and, and um, you know, kind of a grittier experience, right? But really cool. Yeah, really. Yeah, really we've, cool. we've been to Africa twice, 
and I would wow. say definitely re remote and it's exotic-ish. Yeah. Um, so, so different from anything that we know. But we drove from Kamloops all the way up to Inuvik in the Northwest Territories. It was 3,500 kilometers with four kids in a minivan. And that was the most remote out of anything we've experienced, experiencing Canada in a whole different way, experiencing mosquitoes in a whole different way. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, that's actually on our next uh, roster is doing a road trip, especially because we were planning on going to Europe this year and we can't because of COVID. Um, but we, so we were thinking maybe, you know, it would be a fun year to, to do some road tripping in Canada, even in our own province, you know, like that would be really interesting but one of our one of our best trips we did five kids in a van and this eastern seaboard trip and we covered a lot of territory uh and you know it was it was like okay this is cool and it's hard you know like there's you know we're seven of us in a car together as you well know now um you know and how are we going to work out work this out right years ago my husband and I listened to this um guy he was like a Christian marriage therapist and he was uh, he was really good he was very funny and he said one of the things that he feels is really really important for families to do together is camp and the reason it's important is because there's always crises and it's crises that lead you to work out those things in your relationship <laughs> it's true we actually took our to West Africa in the Ebola crisis so that was an oh oh my gosh not saying I recommend that but <laughs> I, my daughter my oldest daughter is very independent and very capable so so independent that um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I said, do you just want to come home? She's in Ottawa right now for university. And she's like, mom, am I really independent if I have to come home during a pandemic? And I'm like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> That's awesome. Where does she go to school? University of Ottawa. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah I've got a daughter in Ottawa too with her family. So. Really? Oh, yeah. Cool. I have to tell you that your bio said that you are an ordinary wife and mom, but you to me are anything but ordinary. <laughs> you are I don't think there's such a thing as an ordinary wife and mom. Not if you're you. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, why, why um, did you name your business or your blog Making Joy Normal? Because of course, everyone wants that. Everyone wants that experience, but there must be a really good story behind that. Well, yeah, I mean, there's kind of a tongue-in-cheek story, uh, which I'll, I'll tell you um, that, okay, so the, the, way, the way the title got started, I run a camp with another, my husband and I and another couple run a, a Catholic homeschool camp every year, not this year, of course, <laughs> um, but uh, we run this camp and it's really fun. I kind of am the camp director, right? Really, really fun. It's all families. And one year, several years ago, I already had my blog and whatnot, which my blog, blog name is Practicing Mammal. And I called it that because, you know, I had spent, you know, whatever, 30 years nursing babies and I just thought it was a fitting title. Um, and also because I'm a big promoter of community, you know, and mammals need community. So um, anyway, uh, people were, I don't know, goofing off. Um, during camp and I wrote this big note on the um, on the big whiteboard you know to everybody and I just I wrote just be normal right? <laughs> with this big joke being you know what is normal what does that even mean um, you know because in our in our present day world what is normal is angst anxiety uh, trash talking other people <laughs> you know um, judgment you know 
but that shouldn't be what normal is, right? Joy should be normal. Mm. And so I really just, just gave me pause to stop and think, you know what? I'm going to do my little part to make joy normal. Mm. Right. And that's where it came from. Beautiful. (laughs) At the end of this episode, I want to share how people can access you and you have a new podcast. So I definitely want them to find you online, but to conclude our interview, I want to ask you three fun questions, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. What's an identity you have that's entirely outside your homeschool mom identity? Oh, easy peasy. I like to make cocktails. I'm coming over. What's your yeah, favorite? And, oh, by the way, I have a Facebook page called Homeschool Mums Who Drink Wine. And all <laughs> we do is share jokes and cocktail recipes. That's all we do. <laughs> my uh, One of my editors said about my book that, listen, I, I think you mentioned like drinking wine a lot in this homeschool mom self-care <laughs> book. And I'm like, I don't know. Do I? Really? <laughs> So then I added gin and tonic. No judgment here. Yeah. (laughs) So what do you usually do Friday night? What do I usually do Friday night? Well, this Friday night, um, uh, a group of us are going for a little social distance picnic at the lake. Uh, So that's kind of nice. Um, I would say a typical Friday night is my husband and I, our kids joke around because as our kids have gotten older, Uh, we've always had date night, right? And date night is rarely meant we go out. We go out maybe once a month or something like that. But date night has always been, you know, have a glass of wine on the couch and watch a movie, right? So when our kids were small, after they were in bed, that's what we would do. And when we had teenagers and they wanted to talk to us in the evening all the time, we did not want to disrupt that because it was so lovely. But finding the balance, we said, okay, but one night a week, we need date night. Okay, so one night a week, dad and I just need time to, you, you guys can do your own thing and we need to watch a movie and have a glass of wine together. Um, but now basically because of the age of our kids, like that's almost every, <laughs> so, but um, anyway, so I would say a typical Friday night is we find a really good movie and we have a glass of wine and Albert and I watch a movie together. Lovely. Me too. Yeah. I but now that my kids are all home for the summer, we use a lot of times uh, spend time just chatting with them too. What is your favorite self-care strategy? Hmm. Well, as you know, I just got back from a massage. Um, and I've always been as in so far as our budget could afford, I would uh, get massage, especially when I, you know, was nursing babies a lot and pregnant, you know, you know, every couple of years, <laughs> you know, the idea of a monthly massage that was, that was priority for sure. Um, for me, but I would say uh, taking time to yourself to think, it would be my favorite thing that I would recommend to other people is, is if I had to choose between, you know, going for a massage and taking time for myself, it would, I would always have taken time for myself first. Right. Um, and one of the things I think that, I think this was a bit of a, uh, something I regret for sure in my homeschool journey, my parenting journey is that fitness was never a priority. Right. Um, I've never had a problem, you know, sort of staying, you know, at a good weight and things like that. And I've always eaten healthy and things. I've always taken care of myself in that way, but fitness was always the first thing to fall off, you know, fitness and recycling. (laughs) If I got busy, fitness and recycling, those are the two things I just couldn't care about. (laughs) 
and um, I have, and so that's something that now I realize there's many things in my life that I think would have been better health wise and whatnot if I had taken care of myself. Now it's a really clear priority in my life in the last couple of years. Um, but I'd be spotty, you know, so I would say to moms and watching my daughters and how they manage fitness in their lives with small children. I just have so much respect for, for what they're doing and that they make that at a priority. Um, that I, it's something that I wish I had done. And I think that is really, really important for moms because it's, wow, it just helps your moods so much. Right. It has been a real pleasure chatting with you today. I and you. This has been I'm so going fun. to ask you back really soon. <laughs> love to. I'd love to have some high school conversation with you because I think we're very much on the same page. And yeah. I just think it's one of those things people are really needing to know about. So we should, we should chat about that for sure. Absolutely. Would you share with everyone, all the homeschool moms that are looking for self-care strategies um, and really just a homeschool coach that clearly after this hour, they can hear how connected you are to people. And the reason that I genuinely feel um, connected, a kindred spirit with you. I feel like I say that every podcast, but the truth is I'm just interviewing people I really like. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the bottom line, right? (laughs) Fabulous. Everyone should podcast. (laughs) would you share where we can find you online where we can find your podcast online for sure so uh my the thing i've been doing the longest i have presences on several fronts now the thing i've been doing longest is blogging my blogging is uh now it's my blog is called practicing mammal but it's on my website which is bonnielandry.ca uh so that's pretty easy uh i have a youtube channel where my um workshop and various other my podcast also gets published on my youtube channel as a video product um and that's just under my name bonnie landry as well on youtube uh my podcast is called make joy normal uh and it's i think it's make joy normal dot buzzsprout.com but if you type in make joy normal it seems to come up pretty uh pretty well but it is linked on my um on my website as well uh and what else do i have do i have other things podcast blog i'm I'm gonna guess you do YouTube channel, YouTube channel, Instagram and oh, Facebook page called make joy normal. Um, and so if you want to know what I'm doing, I, I will always put it on my Facebook page, make joy normal. So that's, that's kind of a good place for people to start. You know, I'll put oh, my little wine drinking page and, and homeschool moms who drink wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's actually the bigger page to tell you the truth. You, <laughs> that page, it went from zero to 800 in like two days. <laughs> <laughs> You found the right, the right word. It was a niche market for sure. <laughs> oh no, it sounds like it's not so niche. <laughs> it has been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank and you. you for joining too. Okay. Take care, Teresa. Thanks. Thank you for joining me today. I'd love to hear more about who you are. So come on over to my Facebook or Instagram page, homeschool mama self care. My goal is to equip you with self-care strategies to help you turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. If you want to learn more about my course, How to Homeschool 101, or my upcoming book, Homeschool Mama Self-Care, Thrive, Not Just Survive, head over to my blog, www.capturingthecharmlife.com. You'll also find the show notes and links to everything you've heard in this episode there. I hope you and your kids... Have a charmed week. And until next time, I hope you can turn your challenges into your charms.